that to my friends from Grace and my friends who are new here. So I'm going to take a minute to just catch us up. Is that all right? So a month ago, in this city, we were hurting, right? You think back to a month ago, we were in a painful spot. We gathered on a Sunday morning, and there had been at least four shootings, two mass shootings, one right in Old Louisville, one right in front of a JCTC Goodwill building, the bank, Chickasaw Park. We heard it. And when we gathered together that Sunday, we, we posed the question of why do we have to be so resilient? Why? Who says? Our job said, right? Our, our culture says you just got to bounce back. You have to do that. Why? And what happens if we're not resilient? Then, then the Derby Festival hit for two weeks, and we watched some horses, and mid looks later, we kind of forget what happened a month ago. But the question remains, why do we have to be resilient? And is it good that we are so resilient? Grace, I've known you all for years. You are a resilient community. You've been through so much. You survived. You watching you worship. This comes from a deep place. I know some of your stories. And what you are singing of God's goodness in spite of evidence in your life, right? Yeah. yeah. There's some beauty and power in that. But I ask, is God asking that? Or is that just what we have to be culturally? This week I, I talked to a friend of mine whose parents came from Columbia. And she's now a seminary professor. And, and she was talking about that her family would always hear, you are such hard workers. You work so hard, you work in the fields, you're so strong. And when we talked about this idea of resilience, she said, we don't want to be that hard workers. It's the only word you give us. And so resilience is not good news. It's just adaptation. Right? And so that we, we looked at the idea that Jesus says these beautiful words, come to me, all who are weary, carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. This invitation is different. The teachings of Jesus are supposed to be easier. The burden of following Jesus is supposed to be light. Then we spent a week and looked at what we have to offer this community. One, one, one church at this phase of who we are, we kind of looked at the assets of who we are, what we're good at, and we, we used Wayne Mueller's term being Sabbath, if you remember. We can be Sabbath for people. We can't go fix all of the problems in this city. We can't go pound all the guns into plowshares and all these things. We don't have that ability yet, but we can hold a moment with somebody, listen to them. Offer them a deep breath. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and set out the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me fast. And so even in this month where we're feeling this pain and all of this kind of stuff, no matter what, we can offer to see one another and say, hey, you're not beyond the reach of God. That's good. That's right. Breathe deep. Where you are, God is as well. And if we're never outside of God's sight, then we can rest in God.
that we can find a deep breath. We can see one another. And last week we practiced this, right? You awkwardly went into groups and you did wonderful. It was beautiful work. But we're still learning. <laughs> and so the text for today comes out of Matthew. And it says this, When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment of the law is the greatest? He said, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts, and with all your soul, with all your mind, and this greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You all have heard hundreds of sermons on this. Mine is not going to be better than those, but we're going to look from a different lens, okay? What if this teaching is easy? What if this burden is light? I have always read these verses in the same way, and I want to show you how I read them, uh, but Pastor Troy is going to help me. So Pastor Troy, you get to come up here, front and center. I, I need a real strong spiritual person, and I'm calling you up. Let's, let's cheer for him. Okay. <laughs> Ready? Okay. So th this is my favorite. You all know how I love these moments. Okay. <laughs> it starts, love the Lord your God. Right? Love the Lord your God, if you can hold those. With all your heart. Right? I often have a divided heart, if I'm honest. I'm honest with you guys. I've, like, this is all the parts, right? And with all, what's next? With all your heart? With all your soul? With all your mind? You're pretty smart. You've got a big mind. With all your strength? These are heavy. Then, what's next? Okay, so this is the neighbor you know. This is the neighbor you don't know. This is the neighbor you don't like. Come on. Come on. This is the neighbor you pretend that you like. This is the one that you owe a tool to. This is the one you're frustrated by. Right? These are those other ones we don't even speak about. These are the people you don't know are your neighbors. Right? And then what's that last part? And as yourself. So you've got to love yourself. Your past, your present, your future, your thoughts, everything else. Can we get some more books? <laughs> and then go and do likewise. Go ahead. This is how I've seen this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I walk around like that. And you know what I have always felt? Extreme failure and weight. Because here's, here's the reality in what I understood. The Lord that I started to love didn't have room for some of these things. And they came in conflict. So I needed to open this second book. And I needed to see what was there. Oh, dude, this is it. It's going to happen. And my mind didn't have space for that. And all of a sudden, stuff just started to crumble. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Trump. 
you don't have to clean it up. That's ridiculous. Good work. I love that you were trying to not let them fall. And my only goal was to let them fall. It does. So let me talk to you for a minute. I get that two laws are easier than 613. They are. We can summarize it in two laws, but the weight of those two laws, the way that we often understand them, is too heavy to carry. And how can we be surprised that we have no space in our hands to receive anything when our hands are full of obligation, of guilt, of pressure? When life gets complicated, we cannot carry all this. And often, we just have to walk away from parts of it. We walk away from God. We walk away from our neighbors. We walk away from ourselves because we can't hold it all. But what if this, if we hold up this verse next to the teachings we looked at, but it's easy and it's light. What if there's another way of looking at this? So I have a, a, a friend that I do. I'm her spiritual director. And this friend grew up in the church, loved the church, raised her kids in the church, and their family went through experiences that her church couldn't make sense of. And those bottom books, the Love the Lord Your God, didn't, didn't have good news for the top parts. What her family was going through was outside the realm of a good God, and God was no bigger than that book that she held. So she walked away from faith. And now she walks around as an atheist, but very different than the atheist I was taught to know. I, I grew up in the like, uh, what were those books called? Uh, Left Behind. I did that too. I got <laughs> I'm talking to my therapist about that one. Uh, like the books about doubt and um, Lee Strobel stuff. Apologies. Yeah, like good stuff, right? Like the, the reason people are atheists is because this logical disagreement with God. You know what I keep running into? I keep running into people who call themselves atheists because they don't know what else to call themselves. And this woman, I sit with her and she weeps because she misses when her life made sense in a faith that once felt like good news. But now her experience is outside of that and that God has nothing to say to her experience. So she's like, then I must be an atheist, but I miss Jesus. I think she's a little more honest than many of us within the church. I think she's at a space wondering if she could really meet Jesus from there. So let's look at the context of Matthew 22 for a minute. The context of this is Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus. I encourage you, please this week, read Matthew 22 and 23. And if you disagree with what I'm talking about, that's great. Let's talk about it. That's what community is for, right? But the context is the Sadducees tried, and they couldn't trap him. And then the Pharisees were like, oh, my drink, let me try. They they go and try. And they're like, which law is the best? Because we know all the laws, and we actually make extras. For us, 613 isn't enough. We're going to make more to ensure that we don't break laws. And he's like, no, it's just two. It's just two. But then he says this. He says, "They, they, the Pharisees, And before we think the Pharisees are some other bad people, it's often us, right? He says that they, the Pharisees, they tie up heavy burdens that are hard to bear, and they lay them on the shoulder of others, but they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. 
it, this verse is talking to, truthfully, it's talking to pastors like me. It's talking to church leaders who say, let me tell you how many books you've got to carry. Pastor Trey only had to carry 30. You've got to carry 613 plus. And I'm not going to do it. You do it. And you make my church great. That's what it's talking to. That's talking to some of us who think we've got it figured out or are so afraid that we don't that we try to get attention somewhere else. So nobody sees us. And he said, that's not the way I am. It's two things. And everything else is wrapped up in this. Just focus on these. I would argue that we can break these two things down in, into, I mean, I'm, we can separate it out, and there's only really four things going on here. Because the, the problem that I keep seeing is that friends like this friend that I was telling you about, who walked away from her faith, her understanding of God didn't allow her to seek the holiness within herself. She could only be fractured and broken and a sad story the rest of her life. That was the good news for her. Then you can die and go be with Jesus. But she's like, I'm not dead yet. So can there be hope for today? And if there isn't in Jesus, I need to find it somewhere else. And I think what Jesus is saying is you don't have to go elsewhere. My burden is light. My teachings, they're easy. So the four things that I see in, the, in these two commands. The first thing is we seek loving God. It's pretty clear, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We seek loving God. The other thing that I see is that we seek the good of creation. If we love God, we love what God made, right? Nearly every day, my daughter comes back from school with a page full of A's. And she hands me these A's, and I tape them to my book case. Because I love the letter A? No, because I love Anna. Yeah. And I have bookcases full of A's. When y'all get your coloring book next week for the series, there will be a page from Anna that are all A's. Maybe one or two N's, but that is her coloring page. That's what she can do, and I love it. She makes the best, worst A's on the planet. Because we love God, we love creation. We seek the good of all people. Because they are God's creation. They are God's image bearers. Everyone. And then we seek wholeness and well-being. Because just like we love the neighbor, we love ourselves. We seek those things. Now here's what can happen. We can hear it like, oh, Matt just took two commandments, made it four, and now I've got to carry all those books. And I've got to do that well. No, I don't think that's it. Because we can feel guilt about four, or we can experience one. And here's what I want to tell you that this, you might disagree with, and that's okay. If you go pursue any one of these, Jesus can meet you there. And you don't need to feel guilt. You don't need to feel lack. You don't need to feel like you're failing. You can just feel like, God, I need this. So let me walk through that quick for us. I grew up in a theology that said God is going to take us from here, out of our bodies, into be some spiritual thing, up into heaven. And because of that, we can do whatever we want to this earth. So I can claim any of it as mine. I can pave any of it. I can drill any of it. I can do what I want because this is not... We're, we're, we're citizens of heaven, right? Come on, man. And my understanding that I had was heaven's not here. So like, 
light the match and walk away like an action star. We're good. That's not what my soul feels. Because when I, last summer, when I drove to Garden of the Gods in, De- in Colorado, and I saw, I- I'll tell you, I could talk to you for hours about this one tree I saw. Talk to you about the way that these rocks were forming on each other. I talk about waters that I've seen. You, you, when you have that moment, even go to Iroquois Park or something like that, you have that moment when you are in and you can take your earbuds out and be like, oh my, there is something here. Some of us are in a season right now where we need to seek the good of creation. And that might even mean that we step away from the God we once knew. And I, if that is you, I say, have courage, my friend. You've got a home with us every day of your life. If that chapter is the rest of your life, that is a worthy chapter. You might be filled with teaching every one of us how to recycle. You might have gardens. You might do all of this kind of stuff. Go do it and call it worship. Yep. Yeah, that's it. And if you step away from what you knew as God, it's okay because if Jesus can meet you in Sheol, like we saw in Psalms, he can meet you in the woods. That's right. If he can meet you in the most distant places, he can meet you at the ocean. And he doesn't need you to call him exactly what it is. You could say, I just feel different out here. And Jesus might wink at you. And be like, that's right. Let's heal some stuff up. I grew up in a faith that was tremendously good at othering other people. There were like 50 churches near us, and we were the only good one. We wouldn't do something joint like this. And if we did, we would make a list on why we were better than the other one. We would do these youth functions together and we would see who would have the coolest t-shirt. Come on now, that is weird. Most of what faith taught me was that some of us are good and God's people and we have to make sure that we are one of them and it's a small group and not one of the others. And the others are all disposable because they're not God's people. We don't need them because we are God's people. And how do I ensure I am God's people? I just build walls around me. I don't tell anybody. I just, I, I just hang with other people who are God's people. And then you come to the text. We're all our image bearers. If your God taught you to make others of others, then I invite you into a season of just seeking the good of all people. And let that phrase mess with you. Because you are not the one who determines what is good. Seek the good of all people and let that be your act of worship. And whether you call it Jesus or not, I don't care. You've got a home here. Because that is the work of Jesus. That is the commandment of Jesus. If you've had to separate out from the Jesus you once knew to do that, then I encourage you, go do that. That is worthy work. If the Jesus you knew said that, now here's the good people, and here's the bad people, and the bad people Jesus is really excited to destroy, then that is a Jesus that I don't find in Scripture, I don't find in my life anymore. And I encourage you to go just follow a season of seeking the good of all people. Make some sense? I remember I was 18 years old. I came back from freshman year, like Christmas time. There was a girl I kind of liked. I was hanging out with her. 
I was like, how are you doing? And she said, uh, you know, we're all worms. And some of us are saved worms. And I was like, I'm good. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> because at the time, I was trying to learn to like me. And those of you who know me, this has been a really long journey. Up until about a year ago, I wished I was somebody else. I, I remember my very first sermon that I preached at this church that I worked at was talking about myself as being built by spare parts in God's factory. Because that's how I felt. And people were like, that was a great sermon. And I was like, no, that was my therapy. <laughs> like, that's me really saying. And I, I thought that that's how Jesus wanted me to see myself. That I'm just broken and bad. That's all that I am. That's all I will ever be. And thank goodness Jesus is good. No wonder Christians need therapy. And if we don't know it, let me tell you, Christian, you need therapy. You need spiritual direction. You might even need a season away from that Jesus who made you feel so bad. You might need to go away from that. And go into a season where you realize that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That you are an image bearer. That yes, you have been through things, but you are not just those things. That there was strength in you. Not strength because of that, but there was already strength that got you through. Yes, sir. That you are resilient, but you aren't loved because you're resilient. Yes, sir. That your limits are a gift. That you are worthy of taking a breath. And enjoying life. And if the Jesus you follow requires you not to see yourself that way, then I invite you into a season where you seek wholeness and well-being. And I trust if you go seek that for a season, as long as that season has to be, you have a home and a people at Grace, you have a home and a people here, if the only thing you can say is, I don't know what to do about Jesus, but I want to be whole, yeah. you've got a home. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And the Jesus that I have met right. will find you there. Yeah. Finally, some of us walk in and we're like, broadly, I'm, I don't know what to do about all that, but I really seek loving God. That's it. I just want to love God. Sometimes people in the other spaces can look arrogantly at you. What I want you to know is, if that's where you're at, God bless you. Come and seek and love in God. That's part of it. That's, that's the whole beginning of it, right? We're just trying to heal up the other ways of seeing God. If you come in and you're like, this Jesus I've met is majestic and powerful, and I want to love God, and I want to seek loving God more than like the old Saturday Life skit, like, then more cargo, please. Like, let's just have more. That's great. Don't cover up places where you're othering. Don't cover up places where you're negligent to God's creation, where you're negligent to your own wholeness and healing. But at the same time, there's no better way to live than learning to love God more. Let's do that. Whatever one of these is kind of pricking at your heart. Experience that. Pursue that. Wrestle with the implications of it. You are not out of God's reach. 
I want you to know, if we're going to really live into this, this is an easy teaching. We can say, God, this season of life, I need to learn to seek the good of all people. Or I need to seek wholeness and healing. And I'm calling that worship. And I'm trusting you're big enough to handle that. And that's all I'm going to focus on until I know that from my own experience. You can do that here. We will cover you. We will love you. We will serve you communion. We will walk this with you. Here's a second implication of that. Each one of us get to pick our own and not give the other one. So if you deeply are committed to seeking the goodness of all people, and the person next to you is seeking the good of all creation, then you high-five each other, encourage each other each week, and then go do your thing and come back and call this your community. Because otherwise we're just given more guilt. Otherwise we're like, man, Rob's few people spend their lives seeking the good of all people like Rob. I, I just need to go do it more. Every time I, I hang out with Rob, I'm reminded how deeply committed he is to seeking the good of all people. You know what that does in me? It makes me deeply want to seek wholeness and well-being in myself. Because if I don't have that, I can't do that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So I hang with him and then I sit on my deck. I'm like, oh Lord. <laughs> I Sabbath twice when I hang out with Rob. Why? Because he inspires me. Not with guilt. But with a life that's truly committed. All of this belongs. And Jesus is not offended if you have to say, I have to walk away from this Jesus who was smaller. And if I don't meet this bigger Jesus, then I guess I don't. But it's not worth living with this small one. We have to believe that. And we have to come together. And we have to say we all belong together because... He said that this is what it boils down to. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. We take the peace that's really on our heart right now. We go devote our life to figuring out what that looks like within our body, within our story. Then maybe we can have another chapter. Maybe we have another, but that doesn't matter. What matters is that we believe that we can really do that and not carry all the weight. And that Jesus is big enough to meet us. Make some sense? Yes. All right, we've got some communion stuff to pass out. Go ahead and raise your hand if you don't have a vial of communion. Here's what I want to remind us of. So our, our actions as a church should never be against any of these things. Right? We don't have to be solely focused on one of them, but they should never be against. But the moment you experience one church, or I think I can speak for grace too, you, the moment you experience either one of us living in a way that is not for the good of all people, call it out. Living out where we expect more of you and, and we get in the way of your healing, your wholeness, your well-being, call it out. None of us should be against any of these things. But we don't have to present in the same way. That's part of the beauty of a community. When we think of when we think of who was in the room with Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, think on who these folks were. We have one who eventually goes and invites all the Gentiles in. That's, that's one of the people who was around the table. The one who goes to Cornelius' house. We have one who had devoted his life to being a tax collector for Rome and then wrote a gospel account 
of his walking with Jesus. We have another one whose entire life he chose to define himself by the love that he experienced from Jesus. We have another one who had spent his life as a zealot, sure that he just had to overthrow the government and then put that right next to his desire to live in line with Jesus. And the rest of his life, I believe, wrestled with that. And they were all at one table because they all belonged. There was even room for Simon. There was even room for Judas. Jesus served Judas. Spoke the words over Judas. We like to villainize him. What did Judas really want? He was like, maybe I can light this fire more under Jesus and make it come the way that I want it to come. That's what that is. Feeling betrayed and taking some money and then feeling guilty for that and ending his life. He was a mess of stuff. He's not a caricature. And every one of these people is in the room and I believe that Jesus looked at them all because it's a slow meal. And he took the bread and he broke it and he said, really soon you're going to understand me, but this is my body broken for you as is, where you are right now. And every time you gather for the rest of your life and for the rest of time, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. He took a cup and he blessed it and he gave thanks. He didn't have a piece of paper to rip off the top. It's like a legit, like, really nice cup, I think. And he looked at his friends again. So you don't even get this right now. But soon you'll understand that everything that's in your way is taken out. These easy teachings, you can live into these easy teachings. You can live different. It's okay. You're soon going to have the Holy Spirit living within you, guiding you. All of that is true because my blood is about to be shed for you. Anytime you want to go doubt... Anytime you want to make it more difficult, anytime you want to wrestle with things you don't have to wrestle with, remember this. Remember that my blood was shed and now you're new, you're different. You're the image bearer, you're always meant to be. Do this in remembrance of me. Can we pray together? Jesus, give us courage. I don't know if I made sense. It doesn't even matter. But you work in our hearts. Would you give us courage to, to believe that, that we can be whole? To believe that we can do the messy work of learning to seek the good of all people. That we can seek the good of creation and see some of this like turn back, not because we're super awesome people, but because you're good and you made this and we experienced you in it. Would you redefine what it looks like to love you? Would you let us shed some of the weight we carry even today and experience your teachings as easy? Your burden is light. Thanks for everyone here. Thanks for this morning. In your name, amen. God bless you all. We don't have any fancy way of closing. So we'll just say we love you.